So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode 1376, The Cost of Motherhood Burnout with Dr. Jacqueline Kerr. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Forget about Roe v. Wade and focus on the fact that we need women's reproductive rights as part of the Constitution. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. You just heard from our guest today, Dr. Jacqueline Kerr, describing her take on the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade. We get into it today and taking a bigger look at the landscape, focusing on the systems that lead to female financial challenges and motherhood burnout. Jacqueline herself is a burnout survivor. In 2018, she left her 20-year career in academia, and now she is helping prevent burnout in other moms through her expertise as a behavior change scientist, speaker, and researcher of hundreds of books and articles related to burnout. In our conversation, Jacqueline highlights how to identify burnout in your life. It can be a sneaky thing. She touches on the motherhood penalty and fatherhood bonus. Did you know for every child a woman has, her income drops by 4%. The average mother makes between 5 and 10% less than she would have otherwise. Men's income, when they become dads, by the way, goes up 6%. This is a real issue with a real cost, with real systemic changes needed. I'll let my guests get into it. Here's Jacqueline Kerr. Dr. Jacqueline Kerr, welcome to So Money. It's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me here today. We're going to be diving into the motherhood burnout epidemic, um, something that you have written extensively about. You've given a TED Talk on this. You have an upcoming book, I believe, on this. Um, And we want to talk about what are the forces that are causing current motherhood burnout, the financial cost to this burnout. But first, just thank you for being here and and for just deciding to have this be your movement. No, thank you so much. And and it has become that to me, a, a mission, because essentially I experienced burnout at my lowest point. I experienced suicide ideation, which I share in my TEDx talk. And once I actually recognized that it was burnout and that there were some things I could do to help myself, but part of it was the system, I just started to feel, I don't want other working moms to go through anything like this. And that's such an important message about burnout. You don't, you're not burnt out once you're at the state of like exhaustion, not being able to out of bed, wanting to escape. There's so many, um, other parts of like the burnout cycle Mm -hmm. that you could catch much earlier. Um, And in fact, if we can just admit it's a systems problem, let's catch it there before it even starts. So that's so important for mums to hear. And so important to really um, recognize the responsibility of the systems, of companies, of laws to essentially protect and foster families in a much better way uh, because currently it's not working. And so much of the thought leadership around burnout, particularly female and motherhood burnout, is around self-care and what the household unit can do. And that certainly 
helps to an extent, but as you say, it's just a Band-Aid. Take us back to the moment when you recognize this extreme burnout in yourself. Ironically, someone who worked in public health, <laughs> and yet uh, you know, it happens to the best of us. It happens to those of us who are very educated on stress and the importance of taking care of ourselves. And yet you found yourself at this very difficult chapter in your life. Take us to that moment. Self-care is is definitely not the answer. And to be honest, I didn't understand what I was going through. I didn't understand it was burnout till later. Once I actually started to sit down and say, I want to write about this. And can I explain what happened to myself? And then I started to see the research on burnout and go, okay, exhaustion, cynicism, lack of efficiency, that was me. And then once I started to actually learn about parental burnout and the shame you have when you're a parent and that you don't enjoy your parenting, I was went, oh, that was me too. So I think a lot of mums don't recognize in the moment what they're going through. They can be having these very um, strong physical symptoms. I mean, they can present as a, an illness entirely um, that might not even be thought to be related to your burnout, but your basic experience illness, start to experience panic attacks. I think resentment and rumination are fantastic symptoms to look out for because and getting frustrated at the smallest thing. Um, so at the time, uh, I assumed like I was having a midlife crisis, uh, you know, a, a mental health breakdown. I didn't really understand that it was burnout and that burnout essentially is, is caused by the workplace environment. So as I blamed myself and as our messaging about self-care is very much you as an individual are at fault. And the problem with that is when we don't share with other people when we're shamed into that feeling of there's something wrong, I'm failing. And then we don't share our, our experience with other mums. Then other mums can't say, oh, it's not just me. And then once we understand, okay, this is happening, like you said, at an epidemic level, then we go, okay, this isn't an individual problem. When something happens at an epidemic level, right. it when is- When there's a pattern, right. <laughs> it's a systemic problem. So- I did discover it later, but when I experienced suicide ideation and I wrote a letter to my kids saying, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm sorry that I'm not good enough, um, but please in your life, you know, spend more time outdoors, ask for help, all these things. And then when I was able to look at that letter and go, oh, that's what I need to do. I need to ask for help. That's really when it started. And that was so hard for me to admit that I needed help. I want to explore some more of the uh, influences leading up to motherhood burnout, but you mentioned asking for help. What are the resources? What are the recommended resources? I mean, do you go and see a therapist at that point? Right. So in my experience, yes, I did go see a therapist who really helped me reset my um, nervous system because I was in a complete state of flight or fright and everything was really felt like it, it, it was, you know, me being chased by a tiger. I was in a, such a high state of stress. So definitely in that sort of situation, a therapist can help. I think it's very much expressing what you're going through to your partner, because if you have, if you have a partner or, or a good friend, because often I think as mothers, we're not 
expressing um, our feelings or our needs. We're suppressing them in the service of, of other people. And so when you ask mums, well, what do you want? For example, if you said that, oh, take a week off and do nothing, what would you do in that time? So many mums can't even answer that question because they've forgotten what they want. So one, you have to start to understand what you're needing. And so the first key to that is expressing your feelings. If you can actually admit you're having feelings and express them, they are such a key guide to knowing what you want. And because I used to ask my husband, I used to say, I've got a busy period coming up. I'm going to need help. He's like, what do you need me to do? And I was like, oh, just know what you need to do. Like if I have to tell you all what to do. So, I mean, I can understand that, that, that is um, difficult, but there are definitely systems like Eve Rodsky's um, fair play where you yes. can actually outline all the tasks and share. And I think what's so important about that type of system is like, as I say, my husband said, well, what do you need me to do? You know, I didn't have an answer, right? Whereas that provides you with the answer. Now it might not be the answer for you in your relationship. And for me and my husband, it basically allowed us to start that conversation. And for me to realize what I need is a break from parenting. Mm. And so that's what I do. I take extended breaks and I usually go focus on this mission that I'm working on, but you could take a total break entirely, but it's that time where you're not responsible for any of those 100 tasks. Help there is so important. But then I think a coach, a coach is so important to help you because they provide the perspective. And that's something you can invest in as part of your own personal and professional development or you can ask your employer to invest in. You mentioned Eve Rotsky's book, Fair Play. Thank you. And also I would recommend The 80-80 Marriage, a new model for relationships. We had the co-authors on this show, um, Nate and Kaylee Klemp, um, talking about uh, approaching your relationship with this uh, baseline of extreme generosity to one another, towards one another, rather than trying to reach 50-50 parity in the relationship, which you know is, is like, who can do that? kind of thinking about like, how can I over deliver um, all of the time and take things off of my partner's plate without even him or her asking. And I think this is particularly hard, um, Jacqueline, when there is income disparity, uh, particularly if she is making more than him in hetero relationships, when the uh, tradition of the husband making more when that equation is flipped and she's making more. I think that as I've written and, and it continues to be a study and we know um, it can create a lot of more a divide in the relationship, insecurity on both parties, from both parties, um, a feeling of like, what, what is my contribution now? And women making more money actually do more of the housework work than women who make the same or less than their husbands. So, are you finding this to be true in your work as well? And that hasn't necessarily been a, a, a focus of my work. And I think what's so important about that is 41% of mums are the breadwinner and the provider. So that's why I think it's so important that we address things like the maternal wall and the motherhood penalty, because if mums are the primary um, breadwinner and yet they're being penalized for being a mum and the dads are receiving this um, fatherhood bonus, then it, it really is impacting families. So I think that that is super important. Um, 
but um, it, in terms of that generosity and and where you can get to that that comfortable state in your relationship, I think that's so important. And that's something my husband and I ended up really being able to do from when I talked in my TED talk, you know, the night that I really was at my lowest point was because I couldn't say thank you to my husband for taking my daughter to the pediatrician. And by the end now, I mean, we constantly thank each other the whole time. There's such a gratitude and generosity in in what we do. And so it was acknowledging lots of things. Like, for example, um, I find it really hard to support my kids with their mental health. I'm of the two of us, I'm probably the one that's best placed to do that because I've obviously read a lot and, and, and done training in those sorts of things. But it drains me. So when I actually admitted that to my husband and said, you know, when I talk to the kids and and about their um, challenges, I feel really, really exhausted by that experience. So I had to admit that to myself. I had to recognize it myself, admit it to myself, admit it to my husband. And then him sort of now saying, because we recognize that my love language is positive affirmations and I need that support. So I'll now come out of the kid's bedroom. I'll go back into our bedroom and he'll say, I know this is hard on you. Thank you for doing it. And so that's just such that's such a totally different framework that that we work yeah. by. Um, and I learned to appreciate him so much more. Actually, when when he had a really bad um, broken leg and and he basically was immobile for months, and I suddenly went, "Oh my God, he does the dishes every single day." <laughs> now yeah. me and the kids are doing them. You know, all the things that I just didn't recognize that he did, I was able to see because suddenly they were gone. Um, right. So I re- started to really, really appreciate him and stop thinking that it was me doing everything. You know, Jacqueline, you're so right. Taking care of your kids' mental health is, is depending on the kid, it can be a round-the-clock job. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have a case like that in our house. Um, and it is draining. And as much as I like to help and talk, and I'm, I feel like I, I love to read all the books, it's a lot different when your uh, target audience is a small child, right? And um, I have actually reached out to you know a therapist for my son in particular uh, because I think there are limits to what I can do, and I think the relationship between parent and child when you're trying to relay these sorts of behavioral pieces of advice, uh, it, it, it doesn't resonate the same way as opposed to like your child having sort of this very more organized and like there's a meeting and he knows he has to show up and listen. And I think he retains more of it and, it, and he doesn't push back, right? <laughs> when a therapist is, he's more polite with the therapist. Um, he's not as, uh, you're nodding your head, like, you know. Oh yeah, you know? no, no, absolutely. And and so, yes, my my 13-year-old, my adolescent son um, is currently working with a therapist because he's been really struggling with his mental health. And so many teens have during COVID. Um, but one of the things I remember, so I'm a really late mom. Um, you know, I had my first kid at 36, second one. At, at, That's not late. That's like average in New York City. Now it is, right. Yeah. yeah. 41 with the second one. That was pushing it. Um, but I remember coming to the point before I had children and I had just moved here to the U.S., And so I was, you know, in my mid thirties, just thinking, okay, this is okay. I'm not going to get married and have kids. But I remember learning 
this really important thing, which was children need a lot of adults in their lives. So I joined the YMCA and did a reading program with kids because I love to read. So I was like, okay, this is my way to be an adult around children. And so I've always remembered that. And recently I was able to reach out to a friend of mine who, who is, um, uh, um, you know, he's he's a um, married man, but without children, who who just himself got diagnosed with um, ADHD, which my son struggles with too, Me and too. who loves to, he, he's a screenwriter now. He used to be an academic colleague of mine, but he transitioned. And he's basically mentoring my son because my son loves writing. So the two of them are connecting around this. And, and my son is re receiving affirmation um, for how he sees the world as well, because he really needs color. And, and, and my friend recognizes color and they talk about color palettes. And it's like, my friend even said to me, he said, just keep out of this relationship. Don't talk to him about it. Yeah. And I trust him, obviously, and you got to have that trust. But he's like, let this be between your son and me so that I can mentor him. And it's not something that mom's been involved with. And yeah. I am so grateful to that friend, Simon, for doing that. That is amazing. That is yes. absolutely wonderful. So precious. And I have to also applaud you, mom, for fighting against that resistance because, you know, my son goes to therapy and I'm like, what'd you guys talk about? <laughs> is she going to call me? I call her, I turn to my husband. I'm like, am I getting an email? Like what, what's going on in there? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, we just have to sort of trust the process and I'm sure if there's something that she needs to tell me, she will. But, you know, I want to be able to, in some ways, measure his growth. Anyway, let's move on. And this was, that was an unexpected turn of our conversation, which I so appreciated. You talk about in your TED talk, this um, metaphor of the baked Alaska to sort of illustrate the layers of baked Alaska. For the, I had to look it up. I was like, what is a baked Alaska? I thought it was like fish at first. <laughs> <laughs> and then I looked and I was like, oh, it's that layered cake. <laughs> and you talk about it in your speech as rep representative of the many layers of, of pressure that women and particularly mothers face. And can you walk us through that? Because we did talk about like sort of work pressures, but there's more than just work pressure. Right, certainly. And so this comes from my public health background. So I was a public health professor for two decades. And we, we have this model, which is called the ecological model of behavior change. So if you think about going on a diet, you have to have willpower. But in, then if you're trying to provide food for your family um, and they, they don't necessarily want the, the salads that you're eating, for example, then you've got to have other foods in the home and that can be hard. Then if you go to workplace and there's candy out on the desk all the time or only vending machines. And then if you can't have access to healthy foods at a grocery store, then it really is not down to your willpower that all these other things are making it more difficult. And then particularly from that public health perspective, we really care about disparities because if you point at the individual and say, this is your fault, but yet they're living in a neighborhood and working environments that are extremely unhealthy, then you know these disparities have to be resolved 
resolved by systemic um, solutions. So in the same way for mums and mum burnout, um, there's things you can do yourself and, and over-proving and over-giving and um, over-pleasing. These are things that that you bring to the table. So that's like the bottom layer of the baked Alaska. That's like your, your cake. And then the next layer, for example, could be the fruit. Now that's all the sort of sweet things, your family relationships. So the relationship with your husband and the relationship with your family members all influences your stress levels. And then at the next level, which would be the ice cream, that's like our workplace institutions, our educational institutions, our healthcare institutions, and they all influence the level of stress that we're experiencing or the level of support that they could provide. And then the the meringue on the outside of a baked Alaska is like society. So that can be um, our policies, whether we have childcare, um, whether we have paid leave. It's also the economic forces because, for example, when you say to a mum, well, go get a better offer somewhere else, well, that's not possible for a mum because the market rates have our salaries fixed in some ways. So those are limitations that the social system puts on our ability to, to negotiate higher pay. And then all the things like Instagram posts where we're posting our perfect lives instead of the reality of the the messy mom. Um, and there's even advertising that there's all these advertising campaigns around superhero working moms. And it's just, um, and also, you know, stigmatizing dads as, as potential caregivers. Mm-hmm. Um, so all those things influence us. So that a lot of people can sort of go, well, I don't want to be a victim of all those things. And I, I I understand that. That's why, you know, getting control over the things you can control is so important. But at the same time, as you change and as your families change and as you change in the workforce and take your boundaries back into the workforce and role model new expectations like not doing office housework, then you influence all the layers back up. So that's what's the great thing. They're influencing you, but the hope comes from the fact that you can also influence them back. So even as an individual, you can have ripples that go out into society. Um, so that's that's so important. And that's why I see that the interventions have to come at those different levels. So we talked already about what is the individual intervention? What can you do to get help? Um, you can reduce the stressors in your life. That's really important to say, I'm going to let go of all these expectations, but I'm also going to ask for help either through um, you know, a village of support or, or, or paying for help, um, and in particular coaching. At that next level, what is it in your relationships that you can improve in terms of your communication, but also in the expectations for others in the household or in society? And then um, at the work level, what are the things you can do? And Yesterday, it just came out and was advertised in, in, in your New York Times, all these companies pledging for mental health um, to do with Ariana Huffington's Thrive organization. Um, and, and I think that a pledge is important, but that's what it seems at the moment with these kind of the Band-Aids or even just companies offering mental health benefits or mental health perks. One, people don't 
take those up because one, they don't necessarily always want their workplace to know what of those mental health benefits they're taking because they don't have trust of their employers. There's not psychological safety in the workplace anyway for you to be comfortable leveraging those things. But again, they're the band-aid. So when I've been sort of responding to that pledge and saying, well, what does this mean? Are you actually going to make well-being a key performance indicator in your organization? And if you do that, then the investment gets prioritized. You actually say, well, are we having an impact? Um, when it's basically prioritized and evaluated, the whole organization and the value system changes around that. So that's what I think is one of the keys is actually putting it at that board level accountability and saying, we really care about our team well-being. And each organization is potentially going to have to have a slightly different solution for what works. But there are really clear guidelines, for example, from the National Academy of Medicine about what you do, what policies support you, um, and how you can improve well-being. And of course, one of those is providing support, but it's also changing these systems because basically overwork is one of the conditions for um, burnout, but um, lack of autonomy, lack of reward, injustice, value conflicts, these are all the conditions that the workplace creates that cause right. burnout. So we need to change those conditions. And if you think of the lack of autonomy, the, the lack of reward and the injustice, the maternal wall and the motherhood penalty are just absolute epitomes of that type of environment. Yes. And, and those are the things we need to change, as well as helping with childcare and, and paid leave. And you mentioned companies supporting their employees' well-being. Um, we're about to wrap, but I did want to touch a little bit on Roe v. Wade being overturned. In light of that, we are seeing uh, on the corporate end, Companies like Apple, Citigroup, Salesforce, Yelp, making uh, providing health benefit changes in the wakes of these um, strict state-level abortion laws, um, whether that's helping you go across state borders to get what you need, to give you the money for it. What do you think this is going to do in terms of motherhood burnout. Right. And I think it's so important that one, we have control because when you don't have control, when you don't have autonomy, right, that very word we just used, that is what leads to burnout. So so that's part of it. But also there was recently a, a paper that came out showing that the more kids you have, potentially the more parental burnout you can have. And you just sure. have to acknowledge that the, you know, the child tax credit that was available during COVID stopped being available. You know, if, if you're expecting people to have kids and, and, and not have a choice in whether they have those children, then you need to be providing um, you know, child tax care credit, there has to be affordable child care. That just seems, I mean, those sh things should be there anyway. But if you're giving mums no choice and you're not providing those things, I mean, it, it's insanity. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, there's no logic to it. Uh, I know. And as coming from Europe, you know, I, I must say when mm. I interview other people from the rest of the world, they really see even just the lack of paid leave in the US as a human rights disaster. So now put it on that, no ability to have a choice whether you, you have a child or not. 
honestly, the rest of the world is looking at this and and does not understand. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I really... I'm living here and I don't understand. Right. I think one of the things that we have to rem- remember about this, and, and I learned from this at a, from a speaker at TED Women's um, Conference in 2021, and she had been a lawyer who had been involved in the ri- original Roe v. Wade. And back in December, she predicted this was going to be, happen. So she said, mm-hmm. forget about Roe v. Wade and focus on the fact that we need women's reproductive rights as part of the constitution. And so that's where we need to be focusing mm. our, our, our efforts now. Yeah. Um, but I am glad that companies are stepping up and I think they've got to understand their power. They are seeing it, but they also have a power to advocate for childcare, subsidized childcare, caregiver leave, all these other things. They, they have so much power and we really need to give them the ammunition to advocate for us. So that's why mums need to speak up in the workplace and say, I'm expecting this as parents, we expect this, and we expect you to advocate for us. Dr. Jacqueline Kerr, thank you so much. And uh, we will hopefully have you back as your work continues and the impact that you make expands. Um, We look forward to following you and thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much to Jacqueline for joining us. Visit drjacquelinekerr.com. I'll put that link in our show notes. And we'll see you back here on Friday for our Ask Farnoosh episode. Not too late to send in your questions. You can direct message me on Instagram or you can email me farnooshatsomoneypodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope your day is so money. So money.